Oh, please forgive my terribly randy rooster. Hello there, it's Chappie. <laughs> Top of the morning to you. It's, uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, <laughs> I mean, forget the Randy Rooster. I need some tea. I mean, it's, it's so early. This is how dedicated I am to the podcast. To keep calm and cauliflower cheese. And I, and I honestly can't remember what episode it is. Let's just have a look here, shall we? Just just hold on. Hold hold you high, boy. So, okay. Oh, dear. I mean, my, my tongue is caked with turmeric at the moment. So, forgive me if I'm trying to uh, catch my breath. And also the ability to swallow. Which, uh, you know, swallowing this early in the morning can be, uh, can be rather challenging, to say the least. So... We're at episode 84. I know this is a constant battle for me. It is a true constant battle trying to get the, uh, the, the number of the uh, podcast correct. I mean, I've tried everything. I've tried writing it in my hand. I've tried the abacus. Uh, I've tried fingers and toes and other people's fingers and toes. It's really not working particularly. So... I mean, I don't know what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to probably have to write it on a big whiteboard before the start of the show and then uh, and then try to figure it out to see if, uh, you know, if I can keep the tally, if I can keep the number of podcasts that there is. But we have hit the mighty, mighty number of 84 podcasts. And uh, it's, it's, it's about 5.30 in the morning. I mean, I know that, it's a podcast and, you know, you don't do time checks and everything. And you could be listening to it. It could be 5.30 in the afternoon. It could be 10 o'clock at night. But, you know, have that morning feeling wherever you are at the moment. Bright and breezy with a full bushy tail. Try to get that bushy tail going uh, today. And I think you'll find things will be uh, much smoother for you. Um, but here we are again. Uh, it's another Friday in our lives, and uh, I'm bloody cold today. You know, I almost thought about slipping back on the uh, long johns because it's that interesting time of year where do you put the heat on? In the daytime, you may need the air conditioning, and at night, do you turn everything off? And I like to sleep with the window open, you know. And that can be challenging sometimes, but I do have the hairnet on, the full hairnet, to keep the coiffure in uh, in full position, you know, I I, I want to keep the keep the curls locked and loaded under the hairnet, and you know, if a breeze comes through in the night, the hairnet can be uh, can be swayed off, it can be blown off, in a hurricane force wind, can blow that flimsy uh, flimsy netting off the top of the barlet, 
And that could cause all sorts of issues, to be honest. Um, but no, the hair's looking rather wonderful. I know, you know, it's uh, it's an audio podcast, not visually. So uh, you probably uh, <laughs> you don't want to see see what it looks like first thing in the morning before I put the comb and brush through it, because that that you know that can really be that can be the Adams family. That's how scary that can be first thing in the morning. And um, so everything's everything's looking spick and spam. I haven't had a sip of tea yet this morning. So you know this is the test for the beginning of the podcast, not actually sipping any tea. Um, because the, the tea really does fire me up. It's my own version of sort of Red Bull. Um, you know, those wonderful pyramid tea bags at the PZ Tips uh, do wonders to wake up a rather slumbersome butler. That's all I'm saying there. So we've got a podcast today and tomorrow. Um, we have... Uh, Different editions of the podcast, the audio and the uh, Butler Musical Emporium version. Uh, but some of the things we may, be, uh, may not be talking about today, possibly tomorrow, maybe even next week. Around the world in 10 breakfast sandwiches. Uh, also, the toaster that can fit two crumpets at once. Uh, we never really delved into Scooby-Doo. Uh, itchy nipples, always an issue. Uh, a face mask that smells of dog food. Hunks and Trunks, uh, the best lyric I've probably ever heard in my life. Um, uh, also a shower, a uh, padded shower, uh, not for um, uh, not for depression or um, uh, slight insanity, uh, but to get the sound quality right. I mean, we're all living in a world of uh, echoes and uh, bad acoustics at the moment, and that's something you're trying to battle if you ever if you ever have a podcast of your own. You'll realise that. Uh, it's a constant battle to to make everything honey sounded and rather wonderful, and also my cure. I wish I'd thought at the beginning of COVID, something that is something that I discovered today, um, or over the course of the last few days, that would have been uh, marvelous to have at the beginning of COVID. And I'm sort of racking my brain that why didn't I think of this? This would have been marvelous, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Tales from the old caravan site. Uh, how I know that summer's coming. Uh, coffee and versus tea breath. I mean, very apparent for this time of the morning, definitely. Uh, before one scrubs one's tongue, um, worms falling out of the sky, uh, blocked toilets uh, in a in a little North Norfolk town. Um, so I mean, we've got plenty to talk about today. Uh, why why is indeed purple asparagus the coolest vegetable of the season? Uh, drink seawater to save chalk streams. Uh, my close encounter with a mad April hare. Well, that's May now, but um, it was encountered in in April time. Um, and uh, also, uh, we have more suburban uh, little crime stories to tell you. Uh, the missing doormat. So lots lots to fit in. Uh, some of it will be today. Some of it to be tomorrow. And some might disappear into the ether, never to be heard again. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. And you're very welcome. I mean, I know this is going to make me feel incredibly hungry, but let's kick off with Around the World in 10 Breakfast Sandwiches. If you ask us, breakfast foods are among our favorite things to eat. There's no better way to enjoy that combined between the two slices of bread. Uh, but uh, whatever people make with bread the whole world over, they make some sort of form of sandwich. And most of these sandwich makers have figured out how to do a breakfast version. 
sandwich equals great, breakfast equals great. So breakfast sandwich is extra great, especially if you're in a rush and need to uh, grab a bite on the run. Breakfast sandwiches take a myriad forms across the globe, but share common ethos. They pack carbs and protein to start your day strong while making a clever use of thrifty ingredients. So let's kick off with uh, France's croque monsieur or croque madame. Toasted white bread, Mornay sauce, ham and a fried egg. Leave it to the French to turn a simple ham cheese sandwich into something so beautifully constructed that you have to eat it with a fork and knife. To make this classic croque monsieur, spread a toasted slice of bread with Mornay sauce, just bechamel with some cheese melted on it. Layer it thinly with sliced ham, uh, top with another slice of bread. And if you want to gild the lily, finish with butter and even more cheese or money. Broil until the layers bubble brown and oozes with cheese. China, the jimbang, a folded crepe, scrambled egg, fried wonton skin, hoisin sauce, and chili oil. Bing is Chinese for pancake and there's a hundred ways to make them. They're flaky, laminate, laminated bings, puffy yeast-risen bings, and crepe-like jingbings are an essential street breakfast in Beijing. In Egypt, we have the temea, pita, Fava falafel, uh, cucumber salad, uh, tahini, and shata. Falafel is a staple across the Middle East, and everybody makes it different. The Egyptian's version, usually referred to as tamaya, is pressed into a flat lentil-like disc rather than the more familiar round balls. The bigger distinction is what's inside. Most falafel recipes call for chickpeas. Tamaya is made with dried, uh, hold fava beans, which have a distinct depth and pungency that you won't find with any other legume. At home, a full Egyptian breakfast might include tamaya, hard or soft cheese, tomato, cucumber salad, flatbreads, and various pickles and olives. United States, bacon, egg, and cheese. Uh, India, uh, andu buri, eggs scrambled with onions, peppers, and spices like turmeric. Well, I've got the turmeric to start here right in my mouth. Ground chili, a popular uh, breakfast in northern and western India as well as Pakistan. You can eat them or roll them in, into a naan or another flatbread. In Colombia... Uh, we have the arepa do Havo. Uh, just like falafel in the Middle East, uh, arepa means and how it how it is made varies widely across Latin America. But in Colombia, it's typically a round corn cake stuffed or topped with cheese and other fillings, and then sauced to your liking. Uh, in in Israel, we have the sabish, pita, fried eggplant, hard boiled egg, cucumber salad, tahini, and amber. South Korea street toast, which is toast, buttered white bread veggie omelette, ham, cheese, and a sprinkle of sugar. In Mexico, we had the tortorevo, uh, con chorizo, split and toasted rolls, scrambled egg with chorizo, refried beans, avocado, and cheese. Uh, in Spain, we have uh, the bocadillo de tortilla, split uh, bobillo roll, and a slice of Spanish tortilla. That, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Now I'm incredibly hungry, and... Um, I don't need. I don't know what I'm going to do for breakfast. I just need to. Uh, I think I just need to uh, have a big swig of tea, wash out the turmeric, and wake up boo. I had a lot of walking this week. I mean, a tremendous amount of walking all over the shop. Um, <clears throat> but something that I found during the course of the week, uh, and, and I and, and I don't know what was causing this, is I had a, a severe case of the itchy nipple. Now. I know that runners like sometimes tape their nipples up. Uh, you know, they put tape across the nipples to stop any sort of chafing whilst they're doing their 26 miles for a marathon or whatever. Uh, but I didn't think walkers would have to do this. I didn't think a walker would have a protruding itchy nipple um, during the course of a, a long jaunt. 
Um, but I'm, you know, I'm wondering if maybe I should uh, start taping my nipples up as well. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe putting a, um, uh, you know, a little bit of ointment underneath, a touch of the uh, the old English cure for everything, germline. Um, but incredibly, I don't know what it is. Incredibly itchy. itchy. I know when they say your left or right hand is itching, uh, they say you, you might be coming into money or losing money. I mean, what does an itchy nipple mean? Does it mean I'm going into the sex trade or something? I mean, I, I just don't know. I mean, could me icing the nipple before I go out stop the itchy? Because it's only one side. That's the uh, that's the uh, the whole uh, dilemma and the mystery behind it. I mean, it's like stories in the unexplained. What does a mystery nipple? What does a mystery nipple? A mystery itchy nipple mean? I mean, I don't know if I want to delve into it too much. I mean, if I if I really raucously itch my nipple. Um, could it could it summon down ufos and aliens i don't know i mean i i don't know why one is more is is more prone to the itchiness than the other that's what i'm saying so i don't know if i've got one nipple bigger than the other that's you know rubbing on maybe a a, a slightly a, a slightly cheaper uh, uh non-cotton shirt or something i mean it's 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 a complete it's a complete mystery to me but I mean, I know we have the back scratcher, but could we invent or have something for itchy nipples? It maybe could be a, a like some sort of a plastic prong fork with the prongs wide apart, so you could like get between the nipple and like maybe tweak it and itch it a little bit as you're going along. I mean, you don't want people like watching you or uh, or judging you with your uh, nipple itcher. Um, but, uh, but I mean, this is something I think I, I, I could need. And it wasn't one off case. It, it, it actually happened over the course of a couple of different days. So that is my, uh, that is my dilemma of the week. Um, I may have to come back and soak it in a slippery nipple cocktail. That could be the only way. I mean, maybe the alcohol could, uh, could stop, could stop the nipple from itching. I'm not going to drink the cocktail. I'm just going to soak the nipple in the cocktail and see, uh, and see what that does if it if it gives me a new lease of life and relief from itchy nipple syndrome so why purple asparagus is the coolest vegetable of the season is trying to try this sweeter more tender variety of asparagus what is about asparagus that gets everybody so excited there's no other ingredient certainly no other vegetable that unites the food world like the first spears of the british season which officially starts on St. George's Day, the 23rd of April. Uh, but only when the asparagus are ready is when the excitement starts. Uh, this year, the lesser-known purple asparagus is getting all the attention from the chefs and foodies. Like purple broccoli and purple cauliflower, the more photogenic purple asparagus is popular with the Instagram generation. But more than that, it's tender, sweeter than its green counterpart. People are a bit scared of cooking with asparagus, but the great thing with purple is you don't need to cook it. Um, like other purple vegetables, it loses its most vibrancy when you do. It's ideal raw in a salad because the color adds that wow factor. Uh, Chris Chin, uh, the asparagus grower, grows more than a, a thousand acres of asparagus in the Y Valley, of which 25 acres are given over to the purple. If asparagus is a niche product, then uh, purple asparagus is a niche of niche. But those 25 acres are more than double 
of what he had five years ago. He thinks that the popularity will only grow. It, will, it won't even take over the green asparagus, but it's got its place. So whether you prefer purple or green, despite its popularity on the continent, there's very little demand for the white asparagus. It's one of those vegetables that the less you do with it, the better. Snap off the woody stem. I don't bother peeling it. It's early season. I never peel purple because the color is only skin deep. You can either thinly slice or diagonally lengthways to add to the salad or blanch it for a couple of minutes in lots of furiously boiling water. If not eating immediately, sh uh, shake off the drained asparagus into a bowl of ice water to stop the cooking and preserve its bright color. Now you can serve it, it's up to you. Asparagus with a runny oat egg is a classic combination, as is with hollandaise sauce. You can dress it with balsamic vinegar, shavings of parmesan, or a scattering of toasted hazelnuts. It's a delicious baked on top of a disc of puff pastry with crumbled stilton or torn basil leaves, blobs of ricotta, or fresh pasta. It's really the flavor of Britain at this time of year. I mean, I love it over here as well. I buy it frozen. I had it in a lovely, 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 lovely risotto. That's how I like my asparagus, on top of a risotto. Absolutely fantastic with uh, some salmon or some uh, cut up smoked salmon. Absolutely delicious. But I'm wondering though, with asparagus, do you think for asparagus to grow properly, does it need a little bit of purple rain? Have you ever wondered about the cross-generational wonder that is Scooby-Doo? I mean, I watched Scooby-Doo in probably the early 80s. My sister watched it probably in the late 80s. Um, everybody that I know has watched Scooby-Doo. My children adore Scooby-Doo, even to today. The Mystery Incorporated version, not the old-fashioned version with the bad graphics, Hanna-Barbera. Um... But, you know, I, I think it's everybody's love of the little bit of mystery. A little bit of scare, a little bit of light comedy. I mean, you've got a, a shaggy-haired sort of Neanderthal type talking to a, a dog. Uh, you've got a rather charming gentleman, beautifully coiffured hair with an ascot. And then you've got um, a slightly flighty redhead. I mean, it's, it's a perfect combination, you know. And... Um, all those wonderful masks that the villains used to wear would have got away with it if it wasn't for you creepy old kids. Or your pesky kids. You know, that's basically how it... Uh, that, that was, that was Scooby-Doo. I mean, that, that, was the, that was the essence of Scooby-Doo. It was all about the pesky kids. Um, and then I, I forgot about the, uh, the, the nerdy girl with the, uh, with the bowl haircut, Velma. And the, uh, and the glasses like I'm wearing today, I've got like a pair of Velma glasses. And well, not quite as round. Hers are more sort of Nana Mascari, I think. Uh, mine are probably a little bit more rectangular. But you had the nerdy librarian girl as well. Every, everybody was covered here. You know, so George, Jack and Maggie here, covered by Scooby-Doo. I mean, I'm probably a cross between the nerdy and the ascot wearer. My hair's not quite as, uh, as set as Fred's, though. I mean, I really think Fred got the blow dryer out every morning and he, and, he, and, he, and he sort of straightened that baby every morning to get it absolutely perfect. And the ascot was never out of place. I mean, that is a, that is a you know, for a, for a society gentleman, uh, a, a crinkled ascot is, is, of, is often something that uh, you despair about. 
But for Fred, I mean, it was always perfectly... Did he have some, like, start spray that he had in the mystery machine that he sprayed on that ascot? I mean, it was, it was very interesting, though. You had, uh, you had um, Scooby, Shaggy, who was probably the... It looked like a homeless person. In one of the episodes my daughters were watching, he he, he did uh, he looked decidedly homeless. Or they, they they swapped they swapped the homeless look. Fred and him. Fred grew a long uh, blonde beard um, and went out into the wilderness. And everything uh, he was wearing was tattered, ripped, and everything else, other than the ascot. The ascot was still pristine. And then uh, Shaggy went into the army, and he had a buzz cut. I mean, it was uh, it was a complete opposite of the normal Scooby-Doo script that you had, um, and um, you had a, 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 a talking a talking bird, Professor Pericles. Uh, you had Mister E, who looked. Uh, I mean, he looked sort of homeless as well. He didn't look like he had washed for maybe twenty years or so. But I mean, it's it's something that unites uh, generations of of kids. Children love Scooby-Doo, and uh, and the mystery is as appealing now as it ever was. Um, and my nephews love it as well. They uh, they watch Scooby-Doo, the old versions. Their favourite's the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, my fear on the Loch Ness Monster, uh, Scooby-Doo, is he's not going to remove his mask, but the uh, Scotsman who's the villain is just going to uh, lift up its cult. So what is the... Forest bathing, benefits, and how to practice Shinrin-yoku. Have you ever taken a walk through nature without any distractions, possibly without knowing if you participated in the popular Japanese wellness activity as forest bathing, or Shinrin-yoku, as it's traditionally known? Forest bathing is a sensory practice where you bathe your senses with natural stimulation from a forest or nature setting. The idea of Shinrin-yoku originated in Japan in 1982, the term arose from the Japanese Forest Agency as a way to attract more visitors to Japanese forests. They defined the practice as taking in the forest atmosphere or forest bathing. People forest bathe to lower stress, reconnect with nature. The practice offers several health benefits and has gained popularity as a form of therapy after several studies proved the efficacy of Shinrin-yoku. Forest bathing offers a way to alleviate the strain on people's mental health of physical health and overall well-being. In a 2020 study published by the Journal of Environmental Research, researchers reviewed forest bathing as an approach to improving mindfulness and psychological well-being in participants during the COVID pandemic. They discovered a significant positive correlation between nature, mindfulness, and measures of psychological well-being, such as forest bathing. In addition, the study demonstrated forest bathing can decrease blood pressure, um, uh, prefrontal cortex pressure, pulse rates, cortisol levels, and improve the heart rate. According to the researchers, the inspiration one feels when surrounded by nature creates a sense of safety and security. Forest bathing is designed to invoke amongst every sense aromatherapy from plants, the forest sounds, trees rustling, birds chirping, or water rushing, visual stimulation from the flora and fauna, and tactile sensations of the soft soil under your feet or the leaves in your hand. I mean, it sounds like you could get some uh, some undergrowth burn if you uh, if you get into the rent right sense and frame of mind and feel like some forest shenanigans. The forest air is cleaner than urban developments, and trees themselves uh, really help 
derive and help with calmness, boosting immunity cells with a host of other benefits. My, my thing, though, with, with the idea of forest bathing, <clears throat> and, you know, I imagine the forest bathers amongst, amongst us here probably wearing minimal clothes, you know, maybe a tummy showing uh, or shorter shorts than normal. But I think you have to be at one with nature. But I'm always worried. I mean, you know, do you need to carry around some cortisone cream just if you get an itch? Because, you know, if you're that close to nature with uh, rubbing against the undergrowth or, you know, or if you've got an itch in your back doing a blue bear from a jungle book, like scratching yourself up on the tree. But you may need some of that cortisone cream. And why do the, you know, the forest bathers and the, and the, and the, and the people at one with nature? I mean, they believe in the natural. They don't believe in, uh, in uh, additives or preservatives. But at the same time, you know, you see these, these, these chaps walking around the forest. They're forest bathing or relaxing, meditating yoga. Believe in the complete natural. But they have completely waxed bodies. I mean, what the, you're not with nature when you wax your body completely. So if you're forest bathing, I think you need to grow a Barbarossa. You need to have a wig on your chest. You can't go around and get with nature if you're going and getting uh, getting yourself waxed in the city every week. I mean, that's the essential part. If you're one with nature, you have to have a long beard, maybe some food stuck in it, a chest wig, maybe some back hair, and lots of bottom hair. This is an essential. So as you meditate and you do your downward dog in the forest, we're talking in the forest i mean i mean these things do happen then then grow your hair grow it out grow it out let it be you need a big old afro if you're in the forest uh, today in our historical tinder competition uh we have uh, the curious fate of stonewall jackson or or more specifically stonewall jackson's arm the uh the commander of the uh, revolutionary war army we had uh, General Thomas Stonewall Jackson. A major Civil War battle was fought in 1863, and Jackson was accidentally shot by his own Confederate troops. A park ranger, Chuck Young, tells a group of visitors uh, Jackson didn't die here, but his left arm was amputated. Both of the doctors performed the procedure literally hundreds, if not thousands, of times at this point in the war. Jackson's arm was about to be tossed in a pile of limbs outside the medical tents until his military chaplain decided to save it. Remembering that Jackson was a rock star in 1863, everybody knew that Stonewall was, and he had to have his arm, he didn't want his arm simply thrown away on a scrap pile of other arms. So the arm was buried in a private cemetery in Elwood Manor, not far from the uh, field hospital where it was amputated. Soon after Jackson died of pneumonia, his body was sent to the family in Lexington, Virginia. The young said that Jackson's arm was never reunited with the rest of his remains. When Mrs. Jackson is informed that the arm was amputated and given a full Christian burial, they will ask her if she wants it exhumed or buried with the general. She declined, not wishing to disturb the Christian burial. That's not the end of the story, though. Uh, in 1903, one of Jackson's staff officers set up a granite stone in the, in the small cemetery. It is unclear if the stone marks the exact location of the arm or if it indicates that the burial happened somewhere else in the area. Some believe that the arm was stolen decades ago or secretly put into storage. The faith thing to say here is that Jackson's arm was indeed buried uh, 
maybe not there, but somewhere. It may have been well, dis- it may be well disintegrated as a role of the time being and dug up and aerated, or simply somewhere else in the cemetery and long lost and forgotten forever. <clears throat> so there we go. We have the mystery of Stonewall's Jackson's arm on hysterical, historical tinder. I guess, I mean, in this case, you've only got one arm and one hand, so it makes swiping left or right more difficult. I mean, and so I mean, it's it's, a, it's an awful situation to be in if you're playing uh, Revolutionary War tender. I mean, there was there was definitely a little bit of this going on here. You need a little bit of, this. and then some of this probably. Uh, there was definitely uh, none of this going on. Not on the not on the battlefield, sir. No, definitely not. Uh, yeah, no, we don't want Santa's uh, sleigh bells there. Uh, but ultimately, so we have the biggest crisis probably since the Cuban Missile Crisis, the, probably the last most notable blockade. Navy vessels deployed to Jersey to head off French fishermen's port blockade threat. Boris Johnson ordered two Royal Navy patrol vessels, this is in the week, to sail to the Channel Islands. Uh, amid fears that the French fishing boats were preparing an imminent blockade of Jersey's main port. In a marked escalation of tensions over uh, post-Brexit fishing rights, Downing Street said that the Prime Minister acted after intelligence uh, suggested that a fleet of 50 boats were preparing to block the access uh, to uh, St. Helier on uh, Jersey. Government sources said that vessels were due to arrive in the Channel Islands as early as tomorrow and accused the French authorities of rejecting attempts to defuse the crisis. After emergency talks with Jersey's Chief Minister, John LaFrandre, Johnson warned that any attempt to prevent ships from entering St. Helier would be completely unjustified and expressed his unwavering support for the governments in Jersey. I mean, this is almost like a, 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 little, a little war and battle of maybe English cheddar and English stilton against, uh, against debris or camembert. I mean, can you imagine, like, uh, a face-off between... Uh, you know, you get your favourite cracker, and then you decide, uh, okay, we've got our uh, Stilton up against the Cannon Bear, or maybe uh, we've got uh, the Cheddar against the uh, Gruyere. I mean, it, it could be a wonderful battle. Um, but there we go. You've got your French onion sellers on their fishing boats with their jaunty fishing hats, striped T-shirts, maybe a, a string of onions around the neck, ready to do some uh, good knife work. And, uh, and and make a little bit of a boyabase. I mean, the whole the whole situation is a, a boiled over boyabase, without a doubt. Um, and I and I and I don't see how they're going to uh, how to come to some agreement here. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a case of little man syndrome, maybe on both sides. But uh, I do have a sense that in the end, the French fishermen will stand maybe on the front of their boats there. You have to be, be careful of any, uh, any uh, Jaws-like uh, great white sharks jumping up and taking them off. But I think they'll be waving their baguettes in the air with their white pantaloons attached to the top of their baguettes, surrendering. I mean, Boris could be on the front of the Navy frigate saying, Je suis un rock star. So it is the merry morn. And I think this is a good daily affirmation from your host, dear host Chappie. I know that I can achieve anything that I set my mind to. It all begins with my mindset. 
I will continue to think positively and know that I will attract more positive experiences and people into my life. I cannot change the past and I will not stress about the future. I will live in the present moment. So it's that time of the show where it's more trumple trombone, where we're looking at some of the most silliest, probably heinous headlines of the creep and deciding if these headlines of the week are worth a trump or indeed a trombone. A man claims Bigfoot can see him lurking through the trees, watching him and release his footage to prove it. Mike Bodowitz shared his recordings to TikTok where viewers can see a large shadowy figure hiding in the trees. The man who is self-confessed Sasquatch fan has a series of videos on his account where he believes and claims Bigfoot has watched him during frequent walks during the wooded area. I was walking down a ravine into the brush and then I noticed Sasquatch was watching me. I couldn't tell if it was male or female. I mean, these are important matters, obviously. It's hard to pick out any facial features if it's dark peeking out of the brush. The creator has over 900 followers said he's aware that a lot of people would claim it's a stump, but exclaimed that the camera is facing an area that's high off the ground and is walking downhills. I saw it with my own eyes. I didn't want to get any closer. It made me nervous, but he was keeping an eye on me. Somebody tell me where I can get Bigfoot leisure jeggings. I mean, can you get these leisure jeggings that Bigfoot might wear when he's on a hike? He must have some gear so he can avoid chafing for that more hessute body. <coughs> Hair there and everywhere. And a sex robot with AI is so convincing it's been praised for its lifelike quality and has dazzled human customers on social media. The US-based firm Real Doll posted a picture of the doll called Stephanie. How early is too early to kick our feet up and call it quits on Monday? Stephanie here is here, or is she just asking for a friend? The doll has blonde hair and is pictured wearing a skimpy red dress with a feet up. The post was met with positive comments from fans. One called her gorgeous, while another declared that they're, they're loving the lifelike quality of the companion. I mean, my biggest concerns would be the cold metallic hands and resting robot face. I mean, if, if she's got the resting robot face, she's not going to be able to do any voguing. A museum of oddities is being forced to sell off some unusual items due to the impact of the pandemic, with a dodo bone, a unicorn skull, and even Queen Victoria's knickers on sale to the highest bidder. Artist, writer, and collector Victor Wind is selling a selection of strange pieces uh, to keep his Museum of Curiosities of Fine Arts and Unnatural History afloat. His museum in Hackney, southeast London, has been open for 12 years, but lockdown restrictions curb the view of visitors. Among the 442 lots going up for auction are a bizarre list that include a taxidermy wing, uh, wing kittens, two-and-a-half-foot leg bone from a woolly mammoth, described as an Irish giant, and Victoria's, uh, Queen Victoria's knickers. Uh, apparently, the Queen is not arse-mused. <laughs> okay, so the Belgian farmer moves the French border by mistake to make room for his tractor. Ooh la la! A Belgian farmer has accidentally moved his country's border with France after uh, getting annoyed by the apparent large stone blocking his way of the tractor. According to BBC News, the farmer moved the historical marking and has redrawn the country's border with France. Noticed by an eagle-eyed local historian while walking in the forest, the boundary between the two countries has now been moved. Thankfully, the uh, mistake hasn't caused a frantic hoo-ha and has just raised a few smiles. The shifting of the stone, uh, which was set back in 1819, but does not need to be rectified, so it hasn't caused really any trouble. But Daniel Lever, Belgian mayor of 
told the French TV channel he made Belgium bigger and France smaller. It's not a good idea. He laughed, I was happy my town was bigger, but the mayor of bourdouin sur didn't agree. Mayor of the French village, Aurel Wellenoc, told Le Vaudenor we should be able to avoid new border wars. It's now up to local Belgian authorities to ask the family and the farmer to put the stone back where he got it from. He doesn't. If he doesn't, he could end up in the Belgian foreign ministry and face criminal charges. Mayor Leveur explained, uh, if he shows goodwill, we won't have any problems. We'll settle the issue, issue amicably. So it's probably the most positive time of the week. You've got Friday is now upon us and the weekend is quickly on its heels. So what I saw one of those positive lyrics that I, that I probably ever saw, uh, and it is rather marvellous. So I was reading it. I heard the song and I, and I thought, I need to look at the lyrics because the lyrics are something to behold, if it's what I thought. Then I read the lyrics and I think this, without a doubt, is probably the best lyric that I've ever heard. You have a beautiful garden, but never stop to smell the roses. Medieval monks were in the habit of forgery. Forgery of official documents by monks was rife in medieval England as monasteries faked old charters of rulers such as Edward the Confessor to stop kings, nobles and rival clerics seizing their lands. According to studies, forgeries were produced in earnest across England and much of the continent from the 10th century and were far more widespread than previously understood. Levi Roche, a medieval historian at Exeter University, said few religions in world history can rival medieval Europe for the sheer scale of forging. Before the 10th century, it was relatively rare. By the 12th, it was rife. In England, before the 10th century, only knew a forgery taking place at one or possibly two centres, Canterbury and perhaps Worcester. By the late 10th century, Canterbury, Rochester, St Albans and Glastonbury, Winchester, Westminster, Selsey, Abingdon and Tavistock were rife. He said that among his findings... He was first to show that no fewer than 17 fake documents were produced at Abington Abbey in a spate of forgery in the late 1990s and also early thousands. The most common types of texts forged in the Middle Ages were charters conveying or confirming rights to religious houses, particularly of land ownership or independence. Many claimed to be charters of powerful or well-known early rulers such as Ofra, Mercia or Edward the Confessor. Charters of Ed, uh, Edward were widely forged during the Norman Conquest of 1066, when William I and his successors claimed to be Edward's rightful heirs. There were, they were sometimes used to cement rights to religious houses held by tradition and could produce no paperwork to sometimes bolster the claims in specific disputes over land ownerships and privileges. In England, or particularly there's a flashpoint with the reign of King Ethelred the Unready, uh, who in uh, 980 took a lot of land from the churches and in the 990s reversed his policy. This type of upheaval uh, led to the land exchanging hands and uncertainty about tenure. It's in the context some churches started forging in order to win back their lands. The uh, levels of forgery fell slightly after the 12th century when many religious houses were already well stocked with fake charters as suspicions about forgeries increased and they weren't drinking the uh, Benedictine liqueur anymore. I think the monk's chanting has uh, made me a little bit more sleepy now, so I uh, feel like going back to bed. 
after this uh, raucous start to the day, romping around with the podcast, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. So thank you for listening. It's at Keep Cheese on Twitter, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese on Instagram, so you can keep up with all the nonsense from the week. Um, there is a Musical Emporium edition where a Butler's playlist is added on Spotify between the ramblings and the rants. So uh, listen out for that. Everything else is audio. So if you prefer the audio version where it's just me rabbiting on for about an hour, then uh, then you can certainly enjoy that. But there we go. That's been the podcast. And uh, we're going to finish with a poem very soon. This is a prayer in spring. Oh, give us pleasure in the flowers today. And give us not to think so far away, as the uncertain harvest keep us here or simply in the spring of the year. Oh, give us pleasure in the orchard white, like nothing else by day, like ghosts by night. And make us happy in the happy bees, the swarm dilating around the perfect trees. And make us happy in the darting bird that suddenly above the bees is heard. The meteor that thrusts in with needle bill and offer blossom to midair stand still. For this is love and nothing else is love for which is reserved to God of to sanctify to what far ends he will but which it's not only needs that we fulfill. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I'll be back again tomorrow. God willing. Cheerio for now, people.